Thank you for listening to our church podcast where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. Most of the sermons will be preached by our founding pastor, John Cole. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m. for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Well, how do you like that title? Why? Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you have a Bible, please turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, if you've spent any time around kids, then you know that kids like to ask this question all the time, right? It's one of those things that uh, about children that if you spend too much time around them becomes very annoying because they like to ask this question about everything. Uh, you, could say, you could say just about anything, and if kids are around, they'll ask why. And that makes sense because kids are... Uh, they're new to the world, they're still figuring things out, and so uh, they ask this question to get answers to things that they don't understand. And I think what happens sometimes is that when we grow up, uh, we stop asking why quite as much, at least some of us do. Uh, we, we get into this mode where we think we've got things figured out, and so we don't think to question things that we would do well, I think, to, to question. And so this morning, obviously it's Easter, we're talking about the resurrection, uh, and so I want to ask the question, why did Jesus rise from the grave? And why does it matter? You know, why do we make such a big deal about Easter? Uh, why do we sing songs like we just did about the resurrection? Why is that uh, a thing for us? Is, uh, is the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, is that just a cool thing that, that he did 2,000 years ago? Or does it have relevance uh, to our lives? And so to answer these questions, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12. Where Paul writes, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So Paul begins by saying that there are some people apparently in Corinth that are teaching that people don't really rise again from the dead. Paul continues in verse 13 saying, If that's true, uh, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then, our preaching, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. So, number one, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, uh, our gospel message is empty. The message that Paul and his disciples were proclaiming about the gospel, the good news that, uh, that of how Jesus brings salvation from sin, Paul says that message is completely meaningless if Jesus didn't really rise again. And then number two, also in this verse, it says if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your Christian faith is empty. The foundation of everything that you believe as a Christian, is based upon the premise that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. And so if the resurrection didn't happen, Paul says your faith is empty. And he uses the word vain or empty here. Uh, Your faith has no substance if Christ is not risen. And this reminded me of uh, when I was a kid and my mom gave me my first chocolate Easter bunny. And I don't know if you've had this experience. You get this big bunny of chocolate and you take a bite into it and to your total dismay, you realize it's hollow inside, right? And as a kid, you're thinking this is solid chocolate all the way through, and no, it's just air inside, right? And so what I would say is if you take a bite into Christianity, you'll find that it's hollow inside if Christ didn't really rise again. And I'm not sure if that illustration really works, but you get what I'm saying. It's, it, it's, it, your faith is vain and meaningless. There's nothing to it if Christ didn't really rise again. Verse 15, Uh, Paul continues, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, 
Again, this is if Christ is not risen, we are false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. So number three, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Paul says the disciples are all liars. They are false witnesses. Uh, This message that they're proclaiming is based upon the fact that Christ rose from the dead, and if he didn't, then he's saying then they're all found to be false witnesses. Verse 16, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. So number four, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Paul says you're not saved. Your sins have not been forgiven if Jesus did not rise again. And then verse 18, he continues, Then they also which are fallen asleep, that means those who have died, in Christ are perished. So number five, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, your Christian loved ones who have died are not in heaven. And then verse 19, Paul concludes with this summary statement, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, or most to be pitied. So number six, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are miserable and hopeless. Christianity is a joke if Jesus is still dead. There's nothing to it. It's it's fake. It's false. This is what Paul is saying. Everything hinges on the fact that Jesus rose again. And you see this transition statement in verse 20 where Paul has said, you know, if Christ has not been raised, then there's all of these negative things. Then finally in verse 20 he says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. After explaining how terrible it would be if Christ was not really raised from the dead, Paul makes this emphatic statement, Christ is risen from the dead. There's no room for argument here. Paul is saying that this is an irrefutable fact that Jesus did in fact rise again. Our salvation depends upon the resurrection of Christ. Our Christian faith depends upon the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection is what gives us hope. And this is exactly what we see in the New Testament. I think sometimes, at least for me personally as a a Christian, especially uh, in my my early years trying to figure out Christianity, I thought the death of Christ was like, you know, the really important thing. The fact that he died and bore our sins. And the resurrection was sort of like a secondary thing that's kind of cool that it happened, but I didn't see any real relevance to it. Like, what did the resurrection change? And yet, if you read the New Testament, you find that when Jesus dies on the cross, the disciples are completely confused. They're distraught. They feel like, you know, you, you remember the, the scene in Luke 24 where two of them are walking together, and they're, they're talking about how, you know, we thought that, that Jesus was the Messiah, and now we don't know what to think about this guy because he's dead. You know, after the death of Christ, they're totally confused. They're hiding They're scared to death. They have no idea. They've lost hope. And then when the resurrection takes place, that changes everything. When when the resurrection happens and they see Jesus alive, they launch out into the world and spread this message. Everything changed for them when Jesus rose from the dead. So how do we know that Jesus actually rose again? So again, if, if everything that we believe hinges on the fact that Christ is risen, it would be really important to make sure that that's true. Right, Because Paul has, has just said, if he's not risen, you might as well give up Christianity. Everything you're believing is false, and, and you, you're miserable and hopeless, and this is all a joke. And so it, it's very important to make sure that this actually happened. And Paul gives us, earlier in the chapter, four proofs of the resurrection. We see this beginning in verse 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare uh, unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Verse 3, I, I delivered unto you first of all, or of first importance, 
that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Uh, and as, as a side note here, this isn't, I wasn't necessarily planning on saying this, but you see here it says he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. There's a lot of debate about um, when in fact Jesus died. Some of you know we celebrate, of course, Good Friday. And so people have wondered how does Jesus die on Friday and is in the grave for three days and then rise on Sunday. It seems like that's more like two days or a day and a half. Uh, and it's, it's a little bit of a complicated subject, but basically what it comes down to is the Jews, first of all, they start their days uh, during sun, at sunset is the beginning of a day in the Jewish mind. So, and that's, that's still to this day. I remember when I was in Israel uh, years ago for Shabbat or Sabbath, they started celebrating Friday night, and I was really confused by that. But in their mind, Saturday begins on Friday night. Uh, and so that's part of it. And then also, in the Jewish reckoning of days, a partial day is considered a full. So Jesus dies Friday midday. He's buried Friday, all day Saturday, and then he rises you know, Sunday morning, which would be, again, if your day starts at sunset, then that would kind of be like halfway through Sunday in a Jewish mind. So anyway, all that to say, he did in fact die on a Friday, and he did rise on a Sunday, if you're confused about that. But he says uh, in verse number four that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the first proof that we see of the resurrection is that it was prophesied by scripture. And uh, you might wonder, where is that? And I gave a few references here uh, that, that might be some of those uh, passages that Paul has in mind. But the resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament. So that's the first way that we know that it happened. Number, uh, number two, starting verse five, it says that he, speaking of Christ, after his resurrection, was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep, some have died. Verse seven, after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. So number two, the second proof of the resurrection is that Jesus was seen by many people after his resurrection. And then number three, kind of alongside that, is many of those eyewitnesses who had seen the resurrected Christ are still alive. Uh, so when Paul is writing this letter, you know, he says 500 people saw the risen Christ at one time. And the greater part, most of those people are still alive when Paul's writing this letter. So the implication is you can go talk to these people. You can corroborate this information to make sure, you know, did Jesus really rise again? And if you have over 500 people saying, yes, we saw him with our own eyes, he's alive, that gives further evidence to the resurrection. Verse 8, the, the last point here, he says, last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. So point number four, Paul says, I saw him. That's his final proof. I saw him with my own eyes and I can tell you that he's alive. And you remember on the Damascus Road, uh, where Paul has that life-changing experience where Jesus appears to him. And so Paul gives us these four evidences just to solidify in our minds that this is not uh, something that a couple of people just kind of came up with. No, this happened, and it's information that has been, uh, like I said, corroborated by multiple eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after his resurrection. So we know that Jesus did, in fact, rise again. And so the real question that I want us to wrestle with today is why does that matter for me? Why does the resurrection, how does the fact that Jesus rose again affect my life today? And for the answer, we'll look down at verse 21, where Paul says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And so he's talking about Adam there. Verse 22, he continues, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
So Adam's sin, as we know in the garden, caused us to become sinners, right? His sin-corrupted nature was transmitted to us. So when Adam sins, not only does he bring death upon himself, but he brings death upon all of us. We die, and we are, are obviously negatively affected because of Adam's choice, his disobedience and sin. And in the same way, Paul says, Jesus' obedience to the death of the cross, submitting to the will of the Father and dying for us, resulted not only in his resurrection, but also in our resurrection. So you and I uh, will one day rise again after our our death. We will have life after death because of the fact that Jesus died and rose again. And Romans 5 says something similar, where Paul writes, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, speaking of Adam again, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So again, Adam disobeyed, and that made many of us, all of humanity after him, sinners. Uh, Paul continues, So by the obedience of one, speaking of Christ, shall many be made righteous. And then verse 21, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection of Jesus, in other words, gives us confidence that if we are followers of Christ, we will likewise be resurrected. Verse 23 of the, of the chapter we're looking at here, 1 Corinthians 15 says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So Paul's saying, he mentions here the firstfruits. And this is a, an important concept in the New Testament that we find repeated multiple times. And firstfruits is a farming reference which has to do with the first handful of crop, basically, uh, that a farmer gets of a particular season. So that first bit of crop was a guarantee of a coming harvest. A farmer would examine that crop, make sure that there's no blight or anything on it. And if, if the crop was good and he had a good uh, you know, first, uh, first fruits, then that would give him the confidence to say, okay, we're going to have a good year this year. We're going to grow a good amount of crop. So in other words, that, that little bit of crop at first was a guarantee, uh, was an ind- indication, if you will, of a coming uh, greater crop that would be growing. And so when we look at the resurrection of Christ, it is our guarantee that we will likewise follow in resurrection. It, it's like that first ray of sunlight over the horizon. You know, if you ever watch as the sun is just starting to rise, it, it starts to come up over the horizon. You see those first bits of light. Have you ever seen the sun then stop and go back down? Right? That never happens. Okay, If it starts to come up over and you see it, you know, you have confidence, okay, it's going to come up. Morning's coming. And so in the same way, the resurrection of Christ is the sign to us, the guarantee that we will experience life after death. I thought of an illustration about this uh, that would have worked up until this year. I was going to say it's kind of like, as a baseball fan, spring training, right? When spring training happens, you get all excited, you're pumped up because you know baseball season's coming. Well, this year, not so much. So that illustration kind of fell flat on its face. But anyway, it's like seeing a robin in spring, maybe. Some of us, we get, you know, you get excited when you see a robin because you know spring's coming. And so th- that would be kind of an analogy of, of what the resurrection means to Paul. He's saying, when we look at the resurrection of Christ, that gives us hope that we will also experience life after death. Verse 32, Paul gives us another reason the resurrection matters. He says, if, if after the manner of men... I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, and I'm not going to get into what all that means because uh, that's a rabbit trail that we don't have time for, but uh, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? And notice this phrase at the end. He's saying, if the dead rise not, notice this last phrase, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Such a, a fascinating, kind of a sarcastic phrase from Paul there. 
where he's saying that if we only have hope in this life, if there is no life after death, who cares how we live? We might as well just party it up and have a good time because, you know, tomorrow we die. So let's enjoy the moment that we have now. That's, that's kind of what Paul is saying here. But if we know that Jesus rose from the dead and we likewise will rise from the dead, that gives our lives meaning. That changes everything. Our future resurrection and life after death is what gives purpose to our lives here on earth. If there is no life after death, you know, it would seem wise to just live for the moment and do whatever pleases you because that, this is the only life you got. If truly death is the ending, then who cares what's right and wrong? Who cares how you live? If we only have this, this life, we might as well live for our own enjoyment. But if there's life after death, then our time here on earth matters for all of eternity. And that should change the way we think about our lives. That should affect our priorities. The way that we spend our time and the things that are important to us uh, here on earth. Paul then goes on to tell us how the resurrection happens. And this part of the chapter is, is maybe a little bit hard to follow, but I think you'll see as we go along what he's saying. Verse 35, he says, But some man will say, and here he's, he's raising uh, what might be an objection, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Paul responds to this objector, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened or made alive, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. So it's a little bit weird wording there, but Paul is using seeds as an illustration of the resurrection. He's saying you put seeds in the dirt, you know, this little tiny seed, you put it in the dirt, and then it dies, right? The seed decays and rots basically underground, and that causes it to then spring up through the ground and become this plant. So in other words, it becomes a completely different thing than what it was. It starts off as a little seed, it becomes this plant. And Paul's saying our resurrection body is not going to be anything like the body that we have right now. Verse 38, he says, But God giveth it a body, as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, uh, but there is one kind of flesh of man, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. He's saying that when your body rises again from the dead, it won't be the same. It's going to be significantly better. It'll be a big upgrade for all of us, some of us more than others maybe. But either way, our, our resurrection bodies are going to be vastly better than the bodies that we have now. And he goes on in verse 42 to say, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Everything about your resurrected body will be better than your current physical body. That's what Paul's saying here. Verse 49, he continues, And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We can't enter eternity in our current bodies. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed. So whether you die before that resurrection day when Christ returns and, and raises us back to life, or whether you're alive when he's here, either way, Paul says, you're going to be transformed in that moment and given a body like you've never had. Verse 52, 
In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. As I was thinking about this, the sting of death being removed, I happen to think death, death is sort of like birth, right? It's a doorway from one life to another. You're entering a different reality than the one that you're, you're coming from. And so the only way death can be a bad thing is if the place you're going is worse than the place you're at, right? If the place that you're going and the body that you're going to have is infinitely better than your current existence, then the sting of death has been removed. And he just spent, it's interesting, Paul spends the last 12 verses explaining that we're going to be way better off in our resurrected bodies than we are now. And so in light of that, he says uh, in verse 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be changed, Paul says. Our bodies uh, won't be like we experience now. They're going to be immortal, incorruptible. We won't grow old and break down over time. And we won't experience the sting of death, but rather victory. And it's all because of the resurrection. And Paul says, thanks be to God. And you would think that that would be the end of the chapter, right? Seems like a good place to just put a period there and stop it. And yet, look at what happens next. Paul begins the next sentence with the word therefore, which ties what he's about to say back to what he's just finished saying, right? The word therefore is one of those connecting words that says, in light of all of this, therefore this. So Paul says, in conclusion, after giving this incredible description of the resurrection of Christ and what that means for us and how we have victory through Christ, look at how he concludes it. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Giving your life in service to the resurrection, to the resurrected Savior, is the only life worth living. Because when you leave this life and enter the next, you're going to wish you had served God more. And I think what, what Paul is saying here is if it's true that we have life after death, it matters how we live now. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord if, if we, we have hope of eternal life afterwards. And so live in light of the resurrection. Not, not speaking of Jesus' resurrection here, but your own. Think about the fact that I'm going to live forever. And what I do right now is really going to matter for all of eternity. I have this little opportunity to make something of my life and to do something for my Lord. And I think if we're honest, many of us would have to say that we, we don't live like we really believe in the resurrection. right? We tend to live just like Paul said. Uh, earlier, you know, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. That's how a lot of Christians live. We think uh, we, we do what's pleasing for us now. We do what's pleasing for us here on earth. We think temporal thoughts instead of setting our affection on things above, as Paul says in Colossians. And if there's no resurrection coming, then that would make sense. Just enjoy your life now. Think about the moment. Think about today. Have fun. But if there's a coming life after death that's infinitely longer than it matters for us today, how we serve the Lord and what we do with the time that we have here on earth. Your labor for the Lord isn't in vain because there's life after death. You know, it would be in vain if there wasn't a resurrection, right? 
I mean, think about all of the, the sacrifice that you give and the things that you do for the Lord. What if, there is, what if it's all a, a farce and there is no eternal life after this? You just wasted all your time that, that you could have just spent enjoying on your own pleasures. But if we truly believe that there is life after death, then it, it matters how we live our lives now. And it makes our work and our labor for the Lord more important. So live your life now thinking about the coming life after death. What will you wish you had done differently? So to recap uh, what we've looked at so far, point number one would be the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our Christian faith. This isn't some secondary thing that we just get to say, hey, you know, our Savior rose again, that's wonderful. No, this matters. Like, this is a big deal to Paul. He says this is the, the core of Christianity. And then number two, the resurrection of Christ is validated by overwhelming evidence. Again, those four proofs that were given earlier in the chapter, it's, it, it, this isn't something someone just came up with and concocted one day. No, many different people saw the resurrected Christ. Paul himself was one of these eyewitnesses. And number three, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for a future life after death. And, and that gives us purpose for our life now. So the resurrection is important. It's a big deal. And it matters for us. And if we're a Christian, we ought to really think about how the resurrection should impact our lives. And before we close this morning, I, I do want to ask one more why question. And that is, uh, why is it that Jesus died in the first place? Right? So again, this is something that a lot of people know Jesus died on the cross. I mean, people all over the world know, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. They know that. But why? What was the purpose? What was the reason behind that? Have you ever wondered, why did he die on the cross? And Paul hints at this earlier in the chapter, a verse we read, verse 3. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. So Jesus died on the cross because you and I were sinners, deserving the eternal wrath and punishment of God. And like we saw earlier, because of Adam's sin in the garden, we have that corrupted and tainted sin nature ourselves. It's been transmitted to all of us throughout humanity so that we're all sinners. And Jesus died on the cross bearing our sin. He took the punishment that we deserved. And he offers us now freedom from sin and a restored relationship with God forever if we will repent and trust in him. And I don't know of any verse that says it better than 1 Peter 3.18. Peter writes, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit. So why did Jesus die on the cross? He, he died to bring us to God, to restore that broken relationship that's been ruined by our sin. So Jesus died as a substitute for your sin. And he not only offers you freedom from sin and forgiveness, but eternal life and a future resurrection after death. And we know that. We have that guarantee because we look back to the resurrection of Christ. This is truly the most important message that Christianity has to offer you. The gospel that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Uh, there's nothing more, more core to our beliefs than this message. And so if you're listening to this video right now, maybe this is the first time you've heard uh, this type of explanation of why Jesus died on the cross and why that matters for you. I'd invite you to uh, look at the description below. There should be a link there that says Discover Jesus, and that will take you right to our website where you can get a, a more full explanation of these things. But why did Jesus rise again? Ultimately, to give us hope. His resurrection is what gives our life meaning for now and hope for our future. 
So as Paul concludes his chapter, my application would be just like his, live in light of the resurrection, of that coming life after death. You know, if you truly believe that and got a hold of the fact that I'm going to live after this life, there's a future reality that's, that's, that I'm going to be experiencing. How would that change the decisions that you make? You know, how, what would you do differently if you really believed that? Because again, I think some of us, we, we say we believe things and yet we tend to live almost like functional atheists, right? We live just like uh, there is no God. We believe it, we go to church on Sunday, but then throughout our week and the way that we spend our time and our priorities, it's as though uh, that's, that's just kind of something we, we, we put on on Sundays. We don't actually uh, believe it and accept it as truth. So live in light of the coming resurrection. We'll close this morning with one final ta- text. That's 1 Peter 1.3, where Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so uh, to summarize that verse, I would, get, I would just say Jesus Christ, our living hope. That's exactly what, what Peter is saying there. That the resurrection of Christ is what gives us hope. And that, that, that is the source of the hope that we have as Christians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for your word, Lord, and we're thankful for the fact that you did die on the cross so many years ago, and that's, that you didn't stay dead, but you rose again, and that your resurrection is the first fruits. It shows us and, and gives us that guarantee, that confidence, that just like you rose from the dead, we will as well. We'll experience life after death. And that, that changes us, Lord. That should change us. That should give us meaning and purpose for our lives. It should alter the direction of our futures. And I pray, God, that it would do that. I pray that it would uh, sink into our hearts, Lord, that it wouldn't just be a, something that we agree with cognitively, but that we would actually really, really believe this and really have it alter and change our lives, Lord. Help us to be affected by your resurrection in the ways that you'd have us to be. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.